0: Welcome to the Plan Podcast. Thanks for tuning in tonight. I'm your host, Josh Codes, and I'm joined by my co host, Andy IRL. Before we get into tonight's topic, a quick shameless plug follow us on all our socials at ProLife Advocacy Network on TikTok and Instagram, and at ProLife Team on X. Shoot us a DM if you have questions or show ideas, or if you'd like to be a guest on a future show. Also, Join us on Rumble and subscribe on YouTube at Pro-Life Advocacy Network, where all of our episodes will be posted. And with that, let's get into it. Welcome to the event tonight. This is something that we have put together to talk about having a deeper discussion regarding um, the abortion topic. We've there have been events that have been going on that have been talking about how to have discussions with the average person. And as we all know from going on to TikTok Lives and talking to people in the way that we do, we don't always just speak to average people, right? There are people that may just spit out talking points, but there's also people that are going to kind of want to have that deeper level of conversation and how we can approach that In a productive manner. Um, So, uh, up here speaking, and who will be kind of like giving a little bit of their expertise on how they approach this. Uh, For those of you that don't know Andy, he's a co founder of Plan, and he has been one of the more prominent voices uh, on TikTok regarding the pro life stance. And we also have Evelyn, otherwise known as Leftist Dropout, who has been debating. Abortion, uh, for the better part of two years now, uh, on as a pro-life debater. Uh, so, let's go ahead and uh, get started. Andy, the the biggest part that I think is kind of like really important is how to, how we should be approaching the uh, the conversation as a whole, whether that be in real life or on lives, but specifically for being on lives. How do you feel like what you've seen has been going on and generally the better part of the lives that have been going on and where you feel like we can improve?
1: Well, I think the most important thing um, as far as having these conversations is going to start with just how we structure our lives um, in order to have the conversation with people and then who we have the conversation with. Um, So if we want to kind of start just by talking about how we – structure our lives i think that's going to be like probably play one of the biggest factors um i would start off by saying like tiktok added the the option a few months back to have up to 8 guests in your live now um i think for our purposes that's entirely like just completely unproductive for the most part if we're going to have a total of 9 people in a live everyone trying to jump in and be part of the conversation i think it's just very unproductive it's just next to impossible to have the actual conversation with people everyone's just getting cut off even people who agree with each other end up cutting people off just to you know be part of the conversation i think if we want to have productive conversations we need to limit the number of people in the live to start with i think that's one of the biggest things that we need to do um so the way that I like to have the conversations is if you have the person hosting and then maybe one person from each side, maybe two people from each side, depending on how the conversation's going. But you kind of have to start off smaller and then just feel how everybody's interacting with each other before you bring up more people and fill up all the boxes. I have seen some lives, um, even when I host, sometimes occasionally I will fill up all of the boxes. But you can only do that in very specific scenarios. You have to know who all of the other people are that you're bringing into the panel. Um, and you have to know that they're going to let other people speak. You have to be able to jump in and stop people from cutting each other off. But I would just say overall, like, don't have that many people in your life. Limit the number of people that you have.
2: Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, it is much easier to... And I I don't want to say like control the debate in like a like controlling way where you're being like super domineering and awful to people, but it is good to kind of have control of the live that you're on if you're hosting, especially Um, like Andy said, making sure to limit the number of people that are in there as long as it's um, productive, right? Like if you have two pro-lifers already in the box we don't need to bring it to be bringing up like five other pro-lifers or even like they said filling up the boxes that's just going to like contribute to chaos and everyone's not going to understand anyone's points um i think also really important thing if you do get brought up into a live if you're not hosting and you are pro-life and there are other pro-lifers in the box it's very important to not derail or interrupt the pro-lifer that is currently debating someone because a lot of times they'll have this specific line that they're going down. And even though you might be well-intended with doing it, you could unintentionally like derail what they were trying to get at with this pro-choicer that they're talking to. So just being mindful, like as soon as you're brought up, it doesn't mean that you should just start speaking automatically. You should at least let the pro-lifer kind of get to where they're going before you chime in.
1: I think it's a good point because we see a lot of times where even like from the pro life side somebody will be like going down a line of questioning it's happened to probably every one of us in here so i think we all like can relate to this where we're going down a line of questioning we ask something the person answers and then like for myself i've already got you know five or six questions lined up to ask them depending on how they're answering the different things because i want to take them down a different line of questioning in order to get to to the end and prove my point or or show the contradiction in their stance but so often it happens where they'll answer the question and then i don't know if somebody else thinks that they like just thought of something great that they want to add to the conversation um or if they think that the conversation has ended or the questioning has ended so they want to jump in Uh, but then it ends up derailing the conversation and it, it takes it in a completely different direction and we never get down the original path that was started out so to Ev's point, if somebody is asking like a bunch of questions, like we just need to make sure that they're finished with their line of questioning or that they're okay with somebody else jumping in before we just jump in and start asking other questions. I think another thing that you brought up when we were talking about the amount of people that we bring in, it made me think of something else is, let's say we have a a panel and there's five pro-lifers that are on the panel at the time. Even if everyone is being respectful and not Jumping in and talking over each other, especially depending on who those five pro-lifers are. But just in general, if you have five people from one side, it might be very intimidating to someone from the other side. They might feel like they're going to be having to go up against five people and they're just not going to want to do it or they're not going to feel comfortable having a conversation with that many people. So it might detract people from wanting to join in the first place. So I think that's something else that we need to be mindful of is creating the environment where people want to come up and have the conversation and be open and discussing these things.
0: It sounds like there are at least a few tips that you would, you both of you would probably give, uh, both to just general hosting and people who are actually coming up into the lives and doing the debates. Do you think that those roles, um, that it helps generally if they focus on either being a host or being a debater in, in these lives. Do you think that that actually like giving a more organized structure to it is beneficial, at least for those that are starting out with this?
2: Yeah, I think, and I'm still working on this. I don't host as much as I used to, but I definitely, I think if you're hosting, Um, I think you should, and like, especially if you have like co-hosts or pro-lifers who are strong in their debate style, and they're up with you. um, I think that hosting should mostly be kept to hosting, right? Um, Obviously, I do tend to love to debate while I'm hosting as well. So I kind of make that clear from the get go. But if you're just trying to host um, in order to have these conversations, I think it's a good thing for you to be in control of live. So you're in control of who comes up, when they come up, what stances come up, you know, as far as like how many pro-lifers and pro-choicers you have up. Um, And obviously like respecting the host and everything is good if you're not hosting. But I think that like, if there's a host who is consistently interjecting with the pro-lifers who are on the panel in their debates, I think that's something that we should be really careful of um, because you're there to kind of like lend your platform to these debates. And if you want to host, and debate you should like make that very clear but just kind of keeping in mind that like the other pro-lifers that you have up there um like you're there to host them too as well so like either make it clear that you're going to debate or make it clear that you're going to host you know i don't i feel like it's it's kind of hard to have both at the same time if that makes sense Mm -hmm.
1: yeah i think that kind of just touches on what we were talking about before as far as interjecting when someone else is having the conversation and going down a certain line of questioning. It's not just unique to the people that are in the guest boxes, but it applies to the host as well. Um, And the host also, like Ev said, there's nothing wrong with the host having those conversations and being the one that's debating. um, But we just kind of need to be clear about who's having what conversations and when. Um, And also keep in mind that the host does have other responsibilities on top of just having the conversation. Like the host is in charge of structuring the live and keeping everything orderly and flowing and bringing people up and and removing people. So the host has a lot of other things that they need to think of as well on top of just having the conversation. So if that's that's difficult, then from the host perspective, that's gonna be the thing that they need to focus on most in order to have the conversations even be possible for anybody to have.
0: When we talk about Hosting in particular, what do you guys think are some things to keep in mind for maybe newer people who are jumping in and wanting to start hosting, or people that may have been hosting for a while but tend to find themselves unintentionally getting into these chaotic live situations? How do, how, what are the tips and tricks that you all have done and that you know not just from doing lives on abortion? But Andy, you you've done larger moderation in on larger platforms before. Uh, What would you say specifically in like moderation tips, picking your moderators and how to really guide the conversation?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, it, it, it does go back to just driving the conversation and controlling the live in general. So, limiting the amount of people that are up there. I know we're going to keep coming back. It seems like we keep coming back to that because it it does seem to play a big factor, but limiting the number of people that you have in the live to begin with is going to um, in part solve a lot of these issues to begin with, or at least minimize them in general. Um, But it doesn't mean that the lives can't still get out of control no matter how many people are in there. So when you feel like it does start to get out of control or it starts going down a path, uh, where we're talking about things that are kind of off topic, um, then, uh, you know, it's important for the host to kind of step in and, and steer the conversation back towards the topic that we're actually discussing. Um, but I think when we do that, we have to do that in a, a calm way. I wouldn't just kind of like jump in and start yelling or anything and, and add to the chaos. You can mention that you you know you want to step in and say something, But the host has tools that they have available to them in order to do those things without, you know, raising their voice or adding to the chaos. The host is able to just mute anybody that they want at any time so that they're not able to talk over them. Um, So I think that's something that people should probably utilize more, Um, at least from conversations that I've seen. I think that would help out in a lot of cases where uh, the people are kind of just going on and on and, and they might not even mean to. They might just be doing it because they're not hearing that somebody else is trying to interject and steer the conversation back. Um, But from the host perspective, I think, you know, that mute button, while we don't want to overuse it, it is there for those situations.
0: Yeah, I think that uh, it's, it's definitely a tool that's underutilized, but what are some signs where you know that, okay, it's, it's time and appropriate to step in and interrupt the conversation at hand right now and kind of help to guide it along
1: when we start to have the conversation go so far off topic that it doesn't seem like it's even related anymore um if people start to monologue and it goes on and on and on um it's okay to kind of step in and tell them like let's you know let's land the plane let's let's make this a little more concise if it starts to get really heated and people just need to take a breather just anything that really Detracts from the orderly conversation.
2: Yeah. I would also like to add something that I just thought of while Andy was talking. It can be hard to know when it's appropriate to interject and when it's not if you are not like a super seasoned veteran debater. So if you are someone who is newer at debating, nothing against you at all. But if a more, I don't like seasoned, like can I say a more seasoned debater? Is that a word? I don't know. Um, but if it's like someone who's been debating for a longer time, if they kind of, interject just to bring the conversation back. I think if you are a new pro-life debater, I think it would be wise to just kind of let them go if they're kind of a more experienced debater, just to learn more about why they're interrupting. Um, And obviously no one's gonna be perfect. I'm not saying this is always gonna work out perfectly but like if someone is there who's been debating for a longer time and they're interrupting a debate that you're having just to clarify something or to kind of bring something like reel it back in um i think that that's something just to be mindful of Like, they're not interrupting you because they don't like you or because they don't like how you're debating they're just trying to bring it back for you and then letting you continue on and that's something as well for the season debaters if there are new debaters um, pro-life debaters that are trying to get out there and trying to learn to debate You should let them debate um, and not try to interrupt constantly. But I think it is okay if it's getting a little bit off track and it's just too chaotic. I think it is okay to just let a seasoned debater bring it back in. And then for you seasoned debaters, just try to hand it back to those pro-lifers once you reel it back in so that they can still learn. Because I think a lot of times I see seasoned debaters kind of take over the lives from these newbie debaters Um, So I think it's mindful for like something that we should keep in mind for both sides that you kind of are trying to work together and we're trying to bring people up and let them learn how to debate as well as the new debaters trying to learn from the old debaters, if that makes sense. Yeah,
1: Yeah. I agree. That's something that I've seen a lot too. When we're watching these lives, I think most people have been watching them for long enough that we know who the more experienced people are, the people who are stronger in having the conversations. Um, So if someone who has been having the conversations longer, um, or like Ev said, is just more experienced, want like is is trying to interject, I think we want to let that person just at least hear them out, make their statement, um, and don't take that as them. Uh, sometimes, like I, I have seen people like take over, but. It shouldn't be the intention. Like, I know there's been a lot of debates that I've been in personally where I'll interject sometimes and it's not to take over the debate, but it's just to clarify something that's being said. And a lot of times it's because it seems like the two people are speaking past each other. So it's just to kind of clarify the point that's being made on each side and say, no, like, this is what this person is saying. This is what this person is saying. Now, both of you jump back into the conversation now that you both know where you're coming from. Um. So if we do jump in, it's not to take over the conversation. We want you to have the conversation. We just want to clarify things that are being said so you can go back to having a productive conversation.
2: Yeah, and it's a good way to like learn to like a seasoned pro-lifer is kind of reeling it back in and bringing you back on track. It's kind of a good way to learn. A lot of things I see with newbie debaters is that and it's something I did, too. It's nothing against you at all. It's just something you have to learn with time. Um, But you kind of get pulled off because pro-choicers love to use like red herrings. They love to deflect. They love to go to like different things that have nothing to do with either the question you ask them or the conversation we're having. Um, And it's normal to do that because you just want to defend every stance that you can defend. So you kind of go off on that rabbit trail with them. Um, so just keep in mind that like if seasoned debaters are trying to bring you back to the question that you asked or something they're not doing it because you're doing something wrong they're just trying to remind you of the fact that like you you can control this conversation in a way where you're like i don't want to say demanding but kind of like demanding an answer to the question that you ask you don't have to go on all these rabbit trails that pro-choicers will always bring up to you you can just say hey no like be respectful, be kind, obviously, but just say like, no, I asked you this question. We're not going to talk about that right now. We're going to talk about what I asked you, you know, like I think a lot of, a lot of times that's hard for, for newer debaters to understand that.
0: So on the topic of newer debaters and even for newer hosts, obviously one of the things I think we've all been there. Um, we all remember the anxiety that can come from doing this, what do you think are, number one, what do you think are ways to kind of alleviate that uh, other than just forcing yourself to go, to get on uh, and to just do the thing? And also, what do you guys think are the three most important things for uh, anybody that is jumping into uh, coming on to lives and debating to have?
1: Well, I think when we're talking about alleviating the anxiety of doing it, there's not much else that's going to alleviate that anxiety other than doing it and getting the experience. Um, But to kind of prepare for that is to be prepared for the conversation. So the biggest thing that you can probably do to prepare for it is to know the material. So we need to know what we're talking about. We need to understand the things that we're saying. Uh, There's a lot of different things that... I might personally say in a debate or that Ev might say in a debate or or any of us might say in a debate. And if anybody else is going to use those things, that's great. Like that's why we have a lot of different conversations. That's why we try to help people. But if you do use something that one of us says, you have to understand what we're saying and the thought process behind it, um, because you need to make sure that you're using those statements at the right time And then also you need to be able to make sure that you can answer any questions, any follow-up questions that somebody has about those statements. So the biggest thing in, again, alleviating the anxiety is just preparing yourself and knowing the information and then just practice.
2: Yeah, that's what I would say too. Um, Josh, you asked for like three things. I have four, but...
1: (laughs) Because I only had two, so you can have my extra. Yeah,
2: I think that... um... That patience is a big thing, um, and I myself have worked on this a lot. I think having patience, because a lot of times, again, be included, we want to interject because. Especially as you debate for a long time, you hear the same arguments over and over and over, and you basically know exactly what the pro-choicer is going to say. Like, you're so aware of what they're going to say, you can basically just answer it before they finish their question. So I think something that um, I'm actively working on, and that especially newer debaters and even seasoned debaters have to work on, is just patience. Let them Say the thing that you know they're going to say, just let them get it out because that at least shows that you're respecting their time, you're respecting their opinion at least, and you're trying to have a decent um, conversation. So try to hold back um, with like any snarky comments or interrupting um, if they're trying to answer a question. Even if you think you know where it's going, just let them answer it. So the first thing definitely patience. The second is confidence, and that hits on what Andy is saying. Um, You can only have confidence if you have the knowledge behind what you're saying. So if you hear people who have been debating for a long time say certain phrases, certain words, or use certain arguments, don't just think that you can go ahead and use those arguments until you know the logic behind why we use those arguments. It's very, very important. Um, You can't just use words like red herring, ad hom, um, like hypothetical strawmans, like dodging appeals to legality and authority. These words that are more philosophical terms, don't use them until you know inside and out what they mean and when you should be calling these things out. I see it way too often where people are saying, oh, you're just ad homing me, or that's a red herring, or that's a straw man. And it's not. They just don't know what those words are. And this goes for pro choice and pro life. So make sure you're versed in what those words mean before you use them. And I'm not even saying you have to use them, right? Like you don't have to use these philosophical terms, but if you are going to use them, please make sure you know what they mean and you know when to use them. Um, The last thing I have is uh, knowledge and respect together. So the knowledge is something I already talked about, but respect. Um, I used to be pro-choice and I know for a fact that anytime I talked to pro-lifers when I was pro-choice and I felt that they... Um, they didn't respect me at all. They, they were demeaning me. They were yelling at me. They were making fun of me that never, ever, ever, ever helped me become pro-life that actually made me more pro-choice. So, and it's something that again, is a work in progress. I'm still working on it. Sometimes I can get very heated, so you're never going to be perfect with it, but try to respect the fact that the majority of pro-choicers are coming from a spot of compassion, the same way that you are. We just have compassion for different parts of the argument. Um, so, try your hardest not to talk down to them, not to insult them, and try to get at their heart and um, and convince them that way. I think that that's a, the, the best approach is to, uh, to, to get to their heart of it and not like make them feel ostracized or outed for what they believe.
0: This brings me to kind of the final point before we go to our Q&A session. But before we do that, I'm also going to Uh, do a shameless plug here. One of the things that I think that we uh, also should be mentioning as a way to help is to join and be active in plan. We should be encouraging each other uh, and referencing any questions here. Being a part of groups not like plan are one thing that are going to really be key uh, for this. So join plan, invite people in. We are also working on uh, all types of different Things for you to reference, including but not limited to fallacies, pro-choice and pro-life stances, and working on having events like this to be able to articulate uh, the way on which you uh, can uh, the ways that which you can articulate your stance. Um, So sorry to interrupt you there, Andy, but I'll let you go ahead and get your two points in.
1: (laughs) I just wanted to kind of piggyback off of what Ev's saying, and and maybe I should have mentioned this earlier is that all of these things that we're talking about. Don't feel like we're trying to say that we're perfect with any of these things either like we are all guilty of this stuff from time to time Um and it's because, you know, like we have experienced some of these things and and done a lot of these things ourselves that we've we've realized that, you know, they're not productive for a conversation. So, like, I don't want anybody to think that we're up here saying, oh, we're perfect and you need to all follow us and do things exactly like we're doing like we're not we're guilty of these things, too it's not good for us to do these things. So we're trying to just tell everybody like, this is how we should be having the conversations.
0: Awesome. So uh, let's go into the last point before we open up the Q and a, this is mostly directed towards you, Um, as an actual ex leftist, like on the extreme side of the spectrum who knows how, you know, that these people think and how uh, a pro choicer does think uh, what are the things that we should keep in mind when approaching them, like how to have the conversation with those people who might come up as guests in the box for those of us that are debating them. uh, What do you think is going to be the most productive, the most effective uh, and all in all, like the things that are going to be the most important to at least give them something to think about after the discussion.
2: I think one of the things for sure is, like I kind of touched on before, is making sure that you're understanding that they are coming from the same like emotional place as you are, right? As pro-lifers, we have this compassion towards fetuses who are being killed mercilessly and legally, right? We have this compassion because they're fellow humans. And I think with pro-choicers, like try to put yourself in their shoes. Like imagine that they are someone who cares deeply for women, as we do as well. But they they don't view fetuses the same way that we do. So um, I think a great way and something that is super effective is um, to go about it with questions, right? So if someone comes up and says, for instance, "Life begins at viability" or something, um, instead of just saying, "Well, no, life begins at conception," and then just throwing stats at them, um, which you can do after you know a little bit in the debate, but I think it's more it's more interesting and it makes them think more if you ask them questions about their stance. If it's just two people going back and forth saying, I'm right, no, I'm right, no, I'm right, like that does nothing, right? You have to get them to explain their stance to you because that's the only way that I ever changed was by people asking me why I believed certain things and eventually the why, why, why's kind of made me think, huh, this doesn't really make a lot of sense, you know? So um, definitely keep it to asking questions. And I know it's going to be hard because as pro-lifers, we do have science and philosophy on our side. So it's going to be hard to not just go, no, you're wrong. No, you're wrong. Um, But definitely try to ask them questions so that they are forced to kind of prove their stance to you. Because through doing that, most times you'll find them... Uh, not have the right words they kind of stumble they kind of falter they they don't you know they realize their own contradictions and it's not always going to change them on the spot Um, they're most likely going to get prideful and defensive and try and act like they weren't contradicting themselves you know it's very typical Uh, but that's typical for all of us right so I think that having grace in those moments and just saying okay, well, you've clearly contradicted yourself. So we're just going to ask you to kind of think about these things. You know, we're we're planting seeds. Uh, Rome wasn't built in a day. You're not going to change someone's mind directly on the spot. Um, So just planting those seeds, asking them the hard-hitting questions that will make them kind of stay up at night and think about the things that you've said, right? Not trying to be super prideful and pompous with them, but asking them things. And that will you know you're the only one who can change your mind so if you ask them questions and they're forced to explain their stance it's the best way to get them to actually think about it mm-hmm.
1: the best way to help people learn is to involve them in the learning process they're going to be a lot more confident in the answers or the conclusions that we come to if they're involved in formulating those conclusions you know so rather than me just telling them when life begins or or you know the different answers to different things um it's i think it's more effective to form those statements in the form of questions so to ask them these different things and if they give an answer that we obviously know is not correct then we ask them something else that we know is going to end up contradicting you know the original thought and lead us to the actual conclusion um you know like if for example if life doesn't begin until consciousness well do dead things grow and develop are you saying this is dead like, if dead things don't grow and develop, then it can't be dead up until consciousness. It has to be something else. You know, it must be alive at a different point. And just kind of, like, lead them um, to the answer that we know all along, but do it in such a way where they're coming to the conclusion on their own, and we're just leading them there, because they'll be a lot yes. more confident in the answer.
2: Preach, Andy. Preach. Yeah.
1: yeah. Also, if we're forming it in the form of questions rather than statements then we don't have the burden of proof to back up those statements. Um, You know, we're just having the conversation and giving them the questions. But if I say, nope, life begins at conception, then I've got to prove it if they disagree with it. You know, if they tell me, oh, like, show me a source that says it. Now, I can pull up, like, 45 different things that show it, but it's just, like, it's kind of a waste of time for me to have to do that when I can just say, when Wendy's begins.
2: Yeah. And now the com- like if you do that, if you say life begins at conception and you have to go through these sources, now you've just shifted the conversation to them picking apart your sources and them saying, Oh, well, this says this word or this is from this source that I think is biased. And then you just go down the rabbit hole of trying to justify your sources. So yeah. yes, I agree. Definitely. Andy is- said it correctly. If you ask them questions, they come to the conclusion on their own. And again, like I said before, Their pride is most likely going to make them deny it. However, we're not just talking to that specific pro-choicer. We're talking to the audience. And a lot of times, those people who are quiet and just watching are the ones that are actually going to change their stance by what you're saying. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I
1: was talking to somebody else a few days ago, and um, we were just talking about the different conversations. And they brought up the point that like, when we're having these conversations, our our goal is not necessarily to win a debate. Like we say that all the time, like we're not here to win the debate, right? We're just here to have the conversations. And when the other side does get heated, it's very easy for us to try to match that energy and get heated right back. Um, But it's so important for us not to, like we need to do everything we can to not do that. And again, we're all guilty of this, right? We all like push back and match energy when we shouldn't, we need to remain calm um, because- we're not just having, like Ev just said, we're not just having the conversation with the person that's in the box. Like we have however many people are in the comments listening um, and we might not change the person in the box, but so we might to change their opinion, but we're speaking to all of those people that are in the comments, even people who aren't commenting and are just watching or listening, we're speaking to them as well. So if we can remain calm, um, especially when somebody else is getting out of hand um, or is getting you know, worked up, then optically... It's going to make whatever we're saying um, seem a lot more uh, correct just because we're delivering it in a way that's a lot more calm.
2: Yes. And coherent. Also, again, emphasizing, I know that I am not perfect at this. I am trying, I promise. So just so everyone knows, I do get heated. I know that about myself, and I am trying really hard to stop doing that. It's the leftist in me, okay? I'm sorry. It takes a while to get it out. Well, it's a, yeah. it's an emotional,
0: it's an emotional kind of thing that we we talk about, right? A lot of us have very deep connections to this, whether we have experienced, you know, some of these things ourselves. Whether we have had a personal effect by seeing, you know, and discussing this and imagining this and putting ourselves into those positions and empathizing and sympathizing with these people, it hits home and it's tough for us as pro lifers to take that emotion out sometimes. But to Andy's point and to your point, I do believe that the optical, that that staying calm and optically making sure that we are viewed as the adults in the room is so very important to these conversations because not only is it going to give other people in the audience something to think about if this other person that you're talking to is shut down, but it's, it's also going to allow for us to attract more reasonable people to have the conversation with us. And that's what we're trying to do is have these productive, uh, reasonable conversations to try and give people something to think about. Because yep. the logic and the the philosophy, the morality, all of these things, they're on our side. We have to be confident in this, be goal focused in any time that we are starting up alive, and kind of use that as a filter to be able to determine what we need to do either as hosts or as debaters, or if we are dual hosting debating depending on how you are presenting your platform and how you are doing this, or if you're having even the most like basic conversations in real life, because all of these things that Andy and Ev have talked about can be applied to your everyday conversations with people in real life as well.
1: It's also natural for us to want to feel like we're being effective, right? Like none of us want to have these conversations and feel like we're talking to a brick wall and not getting anywhere with anyone so at the end of a conversation or at the end of a debate it's natural for us to want to say like oh i i clearly won that debate um but instead of calling it out i think we just need to internalize that and kind of just just think about that personally and say like like keep kind of keep it to yourself right um or come into plan and talk about it in any of the channels here and have the conversation with people here but i don't think it does much good for us to say it on the live, like, oh, like I won that. Or, you know, if somebody leaves, like we talk about them running, like, or, you know, that, that kind of takes away from the conversation. And again, it goes back to, it doesn't set up a a good environment that makes the next person want to come up and have the conversation with us. Or even that person, like we all acknowledge that these conversations, we're not changing people's minds in one conversation. It takes multiple conversations over a period of time. And if we just say things like, oh, they're running or or different things like that, then it just doesn't make that person want to come back and have the follow-up conversation with us and get to that next point.
0: Awesome. Uh, We have a couple of questions before we get into that one more shameless plug you may or may not have seen. But we do have another event for next week, specifically when talking about how to articulate your stance and how to better communicate our side of the argument when pressed upon this or even just discussing this. But let's go ahead and go into these questions. First question. My question for Andy is how do you like your steak cooked?
1: Uh Medium rare. I don't want it bleeding, but if you cook it any more than that, you ruined it.
0: (laughs) All right. Uh, Next one. Can you explain a little about the bodily autonomy argument? So, uh, as far as going into those stances and how, like, what those are, we'll be going into more specifically uh, each of these stances uh, in later sessions, right? We'll have sessions that are specifically about like going into all of these things but we can kind of touch at a high level about the bodily autonomy um kind of argument and how we address this so let's let's go ahead and address that real quick and we'll move on to the next question
1: yeah so bodily autonomy i mean it's basically the whole my body my choice i can you can't tell somebody else what to do with their body right um and, and then we're just going to point out a lot of the contradictions here because people are perfectly fine telling people what they can and can't do with their body in certain scenarios. Um, Most of those are going to apply after birth or even just later in the pregnancy. So then we just talk about why they're okay doing it in some scenarios and not others and just talk about the contradictions.
2: Yeah. I would say one thing that I've noticed a couple times with some newer debaters is if someone says that they have the bodily autonomy stance, or if they say, you know, a woman has the right to do what they want with their body, whatever. um, I don't, I think it's super effective to immediately go into the whole, oh, so I can use my body to go and kill another person. Um, I think that there is a time and a place for that, but I think that just immediately off the bat going into that can be kind of um, antithetical to what we wanna do. So I think when most pro-choicers are saying, my body, my choice, I think they understand that you can't use your body to harm another person. I think that the majority of pro-choicers, there are gonna be exceptions, but the majority of them, are saying that you have the right to um, govern your body, which means you have the right to do, um, like to exclude people from your body, to do things with your body that you want to do as long as it doesn't harm another person. Most of the time, people are going to use bodily autonomy and personhood in conjunction with each other. So I think a a good thing to do when people say "my body, my choice," is to um, to highlight the fact that the fetus is another body. So instead of just immediately going into oh I can just go stab my neighbor. I think a good thing to do is to be like okay so when i'm talking about bodily autonomy i think that you have the right to do with your body what you want to do i agree so start with something that agrees with them because that um, kind of shows common ground with them and it puts them off the defensive Um, and then just say that you view the fetus because the fetus is an individual human being you view the fetus as a separate body and you think that your right to bodily autonomy stops where another person begins and then just kind of go off that track, you know, like try not to be super combative from the, from the front and just try and say, okay, I agree with you. Like find common ground with them, kind of get them off their, because pro choices come in hot a lot, you know, so kind of get them, get them to simmer down a little bit and say, I agree. I love bodily autonomy. Bodily autonomy is fantastic because pro-lifers do we love it. Right. We just don't think that bodily autonomy justifies killing someone else. So just kind of segue it into talking about how the fetus is indeed a biologically, philosophically individuated human person that should not be affected by the mother's bodily autonomy, right? Yeah,
1: well, when they bring that up, I think that one of the first questions we typically would ask is just, is bodily autonomy absolute? Can you always do whatever you want with your body? And they're obviously going to say no. Uh, and then you just ask, okay, well, like, what would be the limitations? And typically it's going to lead down to the conversation of, well, you can do whatever you want with your body until you start infringing on somebody else's rights. And then it brings us to the conversation where of, okay, so you don't think you can have an abortion because you have the right to do what you want with your body. It really hinges on, you don't think this other entity is a person. Uh, and then, yeah. you know, we start
2: talking about that. Yeah, for sure. Being able to identify when someone is talking about, because a lot of times, again, pro-choicers, you have to understand I was a pro-choicer. They don't even understand what it means. Um, So I think, yeah, what Andy is saying is correct. Asking them if it's absolute, if we can always do with our body what we please. And then once they agree that they have limitations to what you can do with your body, then you start to kind of bring them into, if they're talking about personhood, because they don't think that the fetus is a person, or... If they do actually think the fetus is a person, but they think you still have the right to bodily autonomy and you can kill them, these are very important distinctions because most times pro choicers, like I said, not very seasoned, not very smart pro choicers will use these two in conjunction with each other and not even realize they're doing it. So you have to tackle one at a time. You have to say, like, is the fetus a person or is the fetus not a person? And most times they're gonna say, no, the fetus is not a person. And then you'll go through that personhood argument, and like like you know Josh and Andy are saying, we're gonna do that later. Um, but you have to identify their arguments because if you don't identify their arguments, it's literally just gonna be the most circular and frustrating debate you've ever been in.
0: <laughs> Let's go ahead and move on to the next question. Uh, number one, should we set a time limit for how long a pro life or one v one's a pro choicer? And two, should we swap out almost all the pro lifers to give other pro lifers a chance to debate so they can build up their debating skills and stances?
1: As far as having a set time frame, I would say no. I don't think it would be helpful to have a set time frame. I think from the host's perspective, you just kind of have to gauge how the conversation is going and. And understand when the conversation, at least the productive conversation has kind of come to an end, and when it just starts to get repetitive, um, or when it starts to get off track. As far as swapping people out, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think it's probably a good idea, at least until you get comfortable with things, to have somebody who's more experienced in the box maybe with you to kind of answer questions like ev was saying earlier not to take over the conversation but just to kind of steer things along or or bring things back if that's what's needed if you're talking about newer pro-lifers who want to just get some experience debating i don't think there's anything wrong with that maybe saying hey like i'll bring you up for a conversation or two and then let me rotate you out for somebody else who wants to come in and have a conversation or two i think that's perfectly fine um but as far as like a set time i would say no to that just kind of gauge how the conversation's going
0: all right so next question at what point do you end the conversation if they don't leave or concede and you are just going around and around in circles at what point can you go we aren't getting anywhere here and i don't really see the point of continuing
2: i think that if it becomes circular to the point where and i've done this multiple times where someone which is what I was talking about earlier, someone jumps from personhood to bodily autonomy back to personhood to bodily autonomy, because they're just trying to kind of win the debate. They're just trying to save face. They don't really want to have a genuine conversation. Um, I think, again, it will take trial and error. It will take time for you to learn this if you're not a seasoned debater. Um, But as soon as you understand that this person is not going to, like They're not going to concede. They're not really there in good faith. They're just trying to argue their stance. They're just trying to stand up on their soapbox and yell about abortion, whatever. Um, as soon as you have that red flag, I always have a rule where I get the red flag. I give it one more chance in good faith on my part. I try to um, be very kind and explain the the issue that I'm having with them and try and get them to see why I'm getting frustrated or discouraged in the debate. Um, and if they still continue, um, I just say, okay, like, we're just going to have to disagree. I can't really get anywhere else. I hope you have a good night. And then I kick them out. There's nothing wrong with standing your ground. There's nothing wrong with kicking people out. Um, the comments are going to tell you that you're running. The comments are going to tell you that you're wrong in some way. Don't listen to them. Like, honestly, turn the comments off if it's going to affect you. Um, It is okay if you have gone round and round with this person and they still are not getting it and you have been good faith and you have been trying to explain to them why you're frustrated. If they continue to not listen and not understand what you're saying, just say, okay, you're welcome back anytime. Just right now, I feel like our conversation can't really come to a conclusion because we disagree right, on fundamental things. And then you can just say, have a great night and kick them. Like, Be respectful, be kind, but you're allowed to kick people. Yeah,
1: the part that you said at the end, I think, is the biggest part is when we do this, we have to be respectful about it. Um, and, you know, for the most part, let people know that, hey, you're welcome back at any time when we can have, like, you know, approach this again and have a productive conversation. But it just seems like at this point, we're kind of going in circles and not really getting anywhere um, because neither of us is really willing to concede. So maybe we just, like, think about the things that we talked about um, on both sides and we can approach the conversation later. Um, with that in mind, though, I, I think it is important that there are some times where you're going to be stuck on one thing for an extended period of time. Like there are conversations that I've had where, you know, we're stuck on the same conversation for 15, 20 minutes because they keep dodging the question, um, which is going to be different than just kind of going in circles where they're answering the question and just keeps bringing us back to the same place. So just kind of understand that those are two different
0: things. All right. Fantastic. Uh, what are your thoughts on debating pro-lifers that give the essay exception? I feel that it's unproductive on live, but is still a conversation that can be had.
1: Yeah, I think this, like we kind of touched on this already. I think it's super unhelpful for us to debate other pro-lifers on live. Um, like you said, in your question, it's very important for us to have the conversations. Um, and I think we should have those conversations with people. Uh, but I think it's, not a good thing, not a good look for us to debate other pro lifers on their pro life stance on live. We need to have those conversations, whether it's you know on a private call in the text chats in here and a group VC, whatever. Um, but I think it, it's super important for us to do those in private.
2: Yeah, I think one thing I would add is if it's simply like explaining how different stances go, um, I think that that would be okay if you're just kind of you know you both agree that like a certain stance is wrong but you're just kind of hypothetically talking about um like what would be right or wrong or how that would actually go policy wise like those things could be acceptable but i think that um if you're not a super seasoned debater if you if you haven't done this a lot i think that i would just avoid it until you until you kind of like understand how to do it in a way that's not um proving some type of like dysfunction or disagreement within the pro-life movement I agree with Andy. It is very, we already like pro-lifers, we all know this. We are already under so much hate, so much fire. We're like, people hate us so bad that if we start to disagree with each other publicly, it is only going to hurt our movement. So if someone comes up in your box, if you're hosting and they say they make the essay exception and they're debating someone else, personally, I would say to just, Let them debate that person on the majority of abortions, even if you disagree on the essay stance. Just let them debate that person. Um, and then you can, you can like publicly disagree with them. I would say, you can say, Oh, I don't make the essay exception, but I wouldn't say it's good to you know delve into the debate. I would just say, Hey, I disagree with you, I don't make the essay exception. If it's a new person, you could say, We can talk about this on Discord, we can talk about this privately, we can have a VC or a call together. Um, so you can disagree with them publicly, but don't like go into a debate with them publicly, if that makes
1: sense. Yeah, the difference with that conversation that we were having yesterday was that we weren't necessarily debating whether or not we should be making the exception. We were just kind of talking about how it would work out practically. And then yeah. just like we were talking about like the justice system as a whole. So we weren't necessarily debating each other on the pro-life stance. We were just having a conversation about something somewhat related, yeah. but not and the stance itself, which is like, why it's different.
2: And that's what i say, saying, like, if you're not um, a seasoned debater, I would maybe just avoid that conversation altogether because I think, um, because Andy has been doing this for so long, he's a very strong debater. Um, I think that he understood the part of, of the fact that it wasn't about, like, the stance itself because him and the person who's quote unquote debating uh, both didn't give the essay exception. They were simply discussing, how the policy would be if that happens. So I think if you're not a seasoned debater, probably just stay away from those things, probably just try to have those conversations elsewhere, not on a public platform. Um, Yeah, so just clarifying that. I would agree with Andy on that.
0: Awesome, so the second part, or the second question, what do you do when you debate a good faith, pro-choice debater and you go through their argument, but it ends up just coming down to them having different morals?
2: This is, i don't know this kind of goes like deep into philosophy of really everything. Um, if you get someone who's a particularist and they come out and say that that they're a particularist, what that means is that their stance is going to change based on the particulars of the case, right so the the details um, and if you encounter someone like that, especially if you're not versed in philosophy um, I don't even know if it's worth really debating them because i personally don't even really want to debate them because what a moral particularist is is it just means that you can give them all of these reductios or these hypotheticals that would put them in awkward spots and they are allowed because of their moral framework basically to just contradict themselves over and over and just say well this is, you know, this is a stance where I think that it shouldn't be okay to kill your child. This is, a, this is a stance where I think it should be whatever. And it will vary, literally based on the the details of the case. So I think that if you're not very versed in philosophy, I think the best thing to do is, honestly, just not bring them up in your box. If you're hosting, um, <laughs> they're they're not, they're not very, um, they're not very good faith most of the time. But if you're just talking to someone who's not really a Philbro, and they just, it kind of all goes back down to intuition. Um, I think that everything goes back down to intuition. And I think that the best thing to do if you're talking to like a, a non-Phil bro, like a, a person who's just genuinely like they just disagree with you, like they literally think that, you know, women can kill their children if they're inconvenient to them, whether they're born or unborn. I think at that point, it's good to bring up um, hypotheticals and scenarios um, for the audience at that point. I think that at a certain point, you're just debating with the audience and you're just ba- basically saying like, hey, this person agrees that, you know, for example, like if a, if a woman gives birth in a bathtub that she can drown her child, right? Even if they think, yeah, that's fine. That's perfectly fine. And you can't go anywhere with the debate. I would just say, okay, um, I think that that's really gross that you're agreeing to that. And then I would just say, we're going to agree to disagree. But what you're doing with that is at that point, you're speaking to the larger audience. You're not really speaking to them. You're just being like, well, if you agree that you can starve or drown or kill your born child as well, to most pro-choicers, that's going to sound crazy. So that's somewhere where you can kind of just expose the fact that a lot of these people will agree to very um, immoral things, even with pro-choicers. And you're really just speaking to the larger audience at that point.
1: Yeah, we have to remember that when we're having these conversations, we're not just talking to the person that's in the guest box. We're talking to everyone who's listening as well. So even though we might not see to eye to eye or come to an agreement with the person who's in the guest box, um, uh, the people that are in the comments or listening um, might be following along with what we're saying. And they might not agree with the other person, um, even though we haven't come to an agreement.
2: This is something that again for newer debaters, it's it's gonna be a learned thing, and it doesn't mean that you can't learn it, it doesn't mean that you can't get better at it, but it is something that you're gonna have to work at doing is identifying when people simply have different like intuitions than you do, and if they do have different intuitions. If you are a seasoned debater, if you've been doing this for a long time, I think it's okay. Like me and Andy might do this. um, Maybe some other seasoned co-lifers might do this, where we will just go down reductio after reductio and just kind of honestly, optically make them look bad, right? We'll just say like, well, you agree with this. You agree with this. You agree with killing your child, starving your child, drowning your child, whatever. And I think that's wrong. And it's okay to end a debate with differing intuitions it's okay. If someone says it's okay to drown your child, it's fine to end the debate there and just say, okay, I don't think you should drown your child, right? Because again, we know that the majority of pro-choicers don't believe that that is moral. That's, they don't believe that's morally okay at all. So I think that it's okay once you start to learn this stuff to just end the debate if your intuitions are too different from each other and just highlight those different differing intuitions, highlight the fact that all of your reductios, every single pro-life reductio is going to end with more people living. Every single pro-choice reductio is going to end with more people dying. Just keep that in mind. But again, don't use these things if you're not versed in them. I can't stress that enough. Like. Like, learn how to use them effectively,
0: yeah to kind yeah, of and also
1: you- the the goal is never the goal is never to make the person that we're having the conversation with look bad. The goal is always to pick apart the argument that's being presented. So we want to yes, yeah, make the position look bad. yeah, we want to make the position look bad but not the person specifically. And also when we're having these conversations, the whole point of this is to get our message out there. So the other side is just helping us have the conversation, but the point is to get our perspective out there. Um, So if we get to the end of it and we just agree to disagree with the person that's in the box, we've still had the opportunity to talk all along the way um, and get our points out there and everybody who's been listening has heard all of those different things all along the way. And we don't know how much that may change their perspectives throughout the conversation.
0: Confidence without arrogance, I think, is the key here. I think that it's it's super important that we be confident enough in not just our our integrity and our position within the stance and our ability to understand what our goal is and to pursue that goal while also not coming off as arrogant and it's it's so very much an uh, like a tightrope that we have to walk and it's it takes practice and it takes good, solid mental focus, effort, like really focused effort. Uh, so I would I would piggyback on this to say that, like, you know, we should be confident enough to know that ending the debate at a certain point is OK. So. Um, How do you know when a conversation gets circular?
1: How do we know when it gets circular when we just start repeating ourselves over and over again, when we're asking the same questions and the person is answering, but they're giving the same answers? So kind of what I touched on earlier, you'll hear me in debates where I'm asking the same question for 15 minutes straight, but it's because they haven't answered it yet. They've dodged, they've pivoted, but they've avoided answering the question when it gets to the point where I'm asking the same question, they're giving the same answer and we're not really going anywhere. That's when it starts to get circular.
2: Yeah. And being able to identify, um, when it's being circular is something that you, again, might have to do with trial and error. Right. Um, but if you're, if you are asking a specific question and someone gives you an answer that, that kind of sounds like an answer to the question, but it starts to go off on this rabbit hole of like a red herring or, um, like a different argument that doesn't have to do with what you asked. It's very, very easy. I've even done this to go down that rabbit hole with them. Um, so just make sure that you're thinking about their answer and thinking about if it actually answers your question or if it doesn't. Right. So don't go down the rabbit hole if they're not actually answering your question, because it's a very easy thing for, for pro-lifers to do. Mm-hmm. All
0: right. All right. Uh, at what point do you stop bringing up a pro choicer that you have debated so many times and it never gets anywhere. Every time you debate them.
2: It's a thing again, I think is learned with trial and error because I used to be the person who would bring up um, specific people over and over and over. And I would have the same conversation with them over and over and over. And it's literally just, I think that everyone deserves a second chance. I'm strong on that. So if you debate one person one time and it doesn't really go anywhere and they come back again, um, I think it's okay to let them up the second time. If the second time they're doing the same thing they were doing in the first debate, they're either being circular, they're being defensive, they're being mean to you, or whatever. It is always okay to use your platform in the way that you wish to. If you have debated someone one, two, three times, and you just really don't wanna talk to them again because it's not gonna be productive, you don't have to let them up. They're gonna complain in the comments They're gonna get their followers to like hate on you whatever this is the internet Block them like you don't you are not ever obligated to let people up if they are not going to be productive and i think pro-lifers have to be better about that we do like i know that we're trying to spread our message and that's good but if someone is going to come up and not be productive and they're just going to derail everything and they're going to go into this very boring discussion that no one wants to hear you are under zero obligation to let them up block them kick them from your life. You don't have to look them up. I beg of you. Don't look them up.
1: (laughs) Yeah. There, there are so many things to touch on here. Um, like Ev said, if you're having the same conversation with people over and over and over again, and it's after a while, it just gets unproductive, right? Like I see lives where they're the same four or five people in all day, every day, having the same conversations. And I'm like, what's the point of this, right? Nobody's budging on either side the conversations themselves aren't productive most of the time the people themselves are being disingenuous in their arguments so it's not helpful there either and i'm just like why do we keep bringing up these people into our platforms when we're not having productive conversations and i think a lot of times it might be because people don't want to sit in silence they want to have people up there having the conversations or having a conversation and they figure somebody is better than nobody, but that's not always the case. Um, Second, I think when we do have people in that are super disingenuous or just having a very bad faith discussion, we kind of let them up a lot of times longer than we should because there might not be anybody else in the requests. And again, people think that, oh, it's better to have this conversation than to sit in silence. And again, that's not always the case because if we have somebody up who's super bad faith and having a bad conversation optically, like that's just going to give us opportunities to make ourselves look bad as well. And we don't want to do that, especially when there's nothing gained from having the conversation to begin with.
0: Awesome. So we're going to go ahead and end on this following question. When you can tell they're debating with feeling and not facts. How long before you end the discussion?
1: I think most people who have this conversation um, on either side are debating at least in part from emotion because it is an emotional topic. Now, people who have been doing this more or people who um, I guess are more seasoned or better at having the conversations are able to separate the emotion from the conversation themselves at, at least for the most part. Um, But understand that everybody, to some extent, on both sides is going to have some emotion in the argument. Um, Now, if people are just kind of like throwing logic to the side and not listening to the conversation that's being had, and they're just bringing up uh, or trying to make points from emotion rather than logical points and saying things that don't even make sense or that all contradict each other because they're just being emotional, that's when it starts to get unproductive and you can say, look, like... Uh, like we're not approaching this from a logical standpoint, you know everything. You are just approaching this from a position of emotion, and it, and it's okay. We understand it's an emotional topic, but we need to be logical about the conversation that we're having at the same time.
2: Yeah, I definitely think, like I said before, when I was talking about how to address leftists or pro choicers in general, I think it is very good to. Um, to understand that everything comes from emotion, like Andy said, and they specifically are having a lot of emotions because because think about it, right? Like they are um, victims of the media. The media is largely pro-choice. Um, they're government officials. They're celebrities. Everyone they look up to is pro-choice. So they're coming from this as like a like they look at us as foreigners. They look at us as aliens, like crazy people who just want to like control, kill like they just they think that we want to do all of the evil things, right? So don't just immediately discount their emotion, but address it. Just say that I understand that this is an emotional topic for you. This is an emotional topic for me too. I understand that your emotion is coming from compassion for women, right? Try to level with them. Try to understand that they are emotional the same way that you are emotional for the unborn babies that are being slaughtered, right? Like we just have different intuitions about this thing. Um But when it comes to the, like, if you're in a debate where it's like, you're giving them logical arguments, and they're just coming back with um, emotional things, like if they're giving you scenarios of rape victims, or incest victims, or abuse victims, or something like that, definitely, again, address their emotion and say, I agree, this is an awful thing, this should never happen, I feel for these women, this is awful. But I'm still going to have you answer my, you know, whatever logical question you're asking them, right? So there's a way to balance the two, to stay logical and to also validate their emotions because they're right. There's a lot of issues that women go through, right? So their their emotions are valid, but they also need to answer um, these logical questions. So um, I think that when to end the conversation is something that's a little bit harder to understand. It's again, going to be trial and error. It's going to be you doing this after a long time. And I think that if you do end the conversation because someone is too emotional, I think doing it in um in a kind and respectful manner is gonna be the best approach. Go ahead andy sorry,
1: yeah, I did want to just touch on something real quick um because i I wanted to like clarify this, so we're all on the same page when we're talking about removing people from the live um or kicking them out like at least I am talking about. From the guest box, I'm not talking about from the comments, and maybe I have a different perspective on this than some people, and everybody can kind of weigh in here if you want to. Um, but w- we can remove people from the guest box when the conversation gets unproductive um, or combative or, or whatever to in order to control the live. But as far as the comments are concerned, I almost never block anybody. The only time that I block somebody is if they're doing something that is that jeopardizes my live itself. So if they're doing something that's Uh going to cause my live to get banned, that's when I'm going to kick somebody out of the comments and ban them from my live. Otherwise, I let people say whatever they want in the comments. And if it's um, hurtful or if it's unproductive to the conversation or to me personally, I just ignore it. I just look at it as a way that they're helping me, like whether they want to or not, because any comments that people post are boosting the algorithm and hopefully driving more people to my live that are going to listen to what I have to say. Um, and if they're just saying like mean things about me personally or about other people, if it's about me personally, then I I just don't care. Like I just ignore it. Um, but if it's about other people, then like, you know, I might make a comment in there and say like, Hey, like, let's like stop the bullying and, and just focus on the conversation. But otherwise, like, we all just have to kind of ignore it. Like it's the internet. People are going to be mean. We have to understand that if we're going to put ourselves in a public space, that just kind of comes with the territory, especially when we're on this side of the position, like people are going to be mean to us solely because (laughs) of the position that we're taking here. And if we're going to have the conversations, we just have to accept
0: that. Every single person on this panel, including myself, have been the victims of some level of online bullying or doxing. I think, Bro, that, like I think that, for real,
2: you know, I literally, like, I have posted and sorry to cut you off, Josh. Sorry, I'm so sorry. Um, <laughs> but no, I have, like, I have posted a video of all, not even all, but just a portion of the DMs I've gotten. Like, I have gotten death threats, rape threats, were like people wishing death on my family, people saying they're going to come and kill me and my children. Like, people are insane on the internet. Like what Andy said, if you are strong enough to be publicly outspoken um, and and defending the defenseless, like pro-lifers do, you are going to face a ton of hate. And it is the internet. Remember that. You do not have to stop the live and address every single comment. You don't, like, just let them roll. Obviously, like Andy said, if they're doxing you, if they're, um, you know, doing something that will take the live down – Obviously, that's a different story. But if they're just saying mean things, if they just DM you mean things, you don't you don't have to address it. You really don't like the power in having your own platform is that you do not have to do anything you do not want to do and just ignore these people. They are bitter, hateful people who have made you out to be a monster in their heads.
0: Uh, There are tools that you can use either hosting or going onto platforms where people, you know, or are going to have your best interests at heart. Because there are tools that a host can use, especially on TikTok, to filter out certain things within the chat. If something is truly going to bother you to the point where it's going to either keep you from going live or it's going to affect the quality of the live and, and keep you from doing the goal, there are filters that you can add in. If somebody is trying to leak your personal address, you can put those keywords like the actual thing of your address into the keyword filter and it will filter out and block those types of messages. It will block those messages.
1: I was gonna hit on a couple of things that you kind of touched on. When you're using different tools that are available, um, remember like if you are blocking keywords, your moderators can see those. So if you're trying to block things like your address and you put that as a blocked keyword, just remember you're now making that publicly available to your moderators, uh, which so it's important to trust the people that you know we have as moderators. Mm-hmm. Um but all of this being said, these are just the ways that I personally handle things or that um you know Josh or Ev handle them, you know, ourselves. We're not saying that this is how you have to handle things. I'm not saying that you can't block people from your lives. I'm just saying that this is how I would personally handle it and I think this is the most productive way to handle things. If you want to handle something in a different way, By all means, like you're welcome to do it however you want. These are your lives, um, your live streams. You guys can handle them and run them however you want. We're just saying we think this is the way to be most productive about it. Also, when we're saying that if you're going to be on this position and you're going to be in the public spotlight and be out on the internet and put yourself out there, this is just kind of things that come with the territory. We're not saying that if you're going to be pro-life you have to put up with bullying or doxing or anything else like that we're just saying that this is what comes from putting yourself out there publicly so if you're not comfortable with those things or you you feel like you can't deal with those things that's perfectly fine there are plenty of ways to help out um, the pro-life community and the pro-life movement other than being a public face on TikTok. You know, there are definitely yeah. a ton of different ways that you can help out privately if you don't want to or you feel like you can't deal with some of the things that come from putting yourself out there publicly. We're just saying that if you are going to put yourself out there publicly, these are things that you have to be mindful of because it kind of comes with the territory.
2: Yeah. And plan for sure is a great way to um, if you don't want to have your your face or your name out there or whatever plan um oftentimes has links to donations where you can directly help mothers in need um and these are things that are anonymous um there are plenty of ways i can even start um posting some links where you can even just offer words of encouragement if you don't have money um you know things like that to mothers in need so like andy said there is no um there's no pressure to put yourself out there because we all know how um, how mentally taxing it can be, but there are plenty of ways. And especially in your community, if you need my help, I, my DMs are always open. You can ask me and just give me your city and I will look up places where you can go donate, um, even just donating your time. Plenty of these pregnancy resource centers around you uh, need just volunteers just to help them with normal, everyday business kind of things, right? there are plenty of ways to get involved uh, without all of the hate and death threats. (laughs) So just so you know that you don't have,
1: even if it's just talking with other pro-lifers and bringing them into the community and building the community itself. Like, I mean, that's something that's also needed and there's, there's very little risk involved there because you're talking with like-minded people.
2: Yeah, for sure. There's plenty of ways to get involved in the pro-life movement. You don't have to succumb to death threats. I just like doing it because I'm a masochist. That's all. Um, yeah, so, uh,
0: you know, we've run actually a little, uh, quite a little bit longer than I had intended. I intended this to be just an hour, but I think it's been really productive. Um, so a couple of closing, uh, a couple of closing things. Um, first off, I want to give Andy and, and Ev, uh, the opportunity to kind of, uh, say whatever they, they'd like, maybe do any, any other shameless plugs that they'd like to push forward. And uh, then we have some closing announcements for upcoming things and and other stuff. And we'll go from there. So uh, have at it, y'all.
2: Yeah, so I'll just go first. I think everyone here already follows me. But if you don't, let us drop out on TikTok. I have multiple accounts. Um, I post a ton of pro-life content, also Christian content occasionally. Um, And I would love to also um, be friends with you here on Discord if you guys want to send me a friend request. I can answer any questions you have about debating. I've been doing this for a long time. I've looked a lot into the philosophy of things. I've challenged Phil Rose um, a lot. And even though I'm not perfect, I'm not saying I'm the smartest person ever, um, I think I have a decent grasp on arguments. So I'm always down to have conversations, VCs, calls with you if you want to uh, strengthen your arguments. Um, or if you just want to vent about something that's, you know, happened because you're pro-life or whatever, or if you have friends in your life who are struggling because they're pregnant, um, I can always help and will always help with finding them resources and helping with your arguments. So DMs are always open. Friend me on here. Follow me on TikTok. Um, I love you guys all.
1: Yeah. And I think the same for me. I think most people here um, already follow me on TikTok, but if you don't, it's Andy IRL official on TikTok um, and I'll also, I'm always open to having the conversation with anybody, whether it's on TikTok, Discord, wherever. Uh, if you have any questions, message me you know, privately. You can put it in the chats here. Um, I think uh, it's super important for everyone. Well, obviously, everyone in this conversation uh, right now is in the planned Discord because that's where we're having this. But wherever this is posted, if you're listening to this after the fact and you're not in the Pro-Life Advocacy Network Discord, Um, definitely join. Um, You can find links to that in our TikTok bios. Um, And just join in the conversation.
0: Uh, So the next live discussion we will be having is next week, same time, same place, Thursday, November 16th, 7 p.m. Central, 8 p.m. Eastern. Uh, We'll be talking about how to articulate the stance Uh, thanks everybody for coming and don't forget as you go through the next week, if you have people that you know of that are not part of plan that are pro life, whether they hold exceptions or not, direct them either to this server via a discord link, if you're a part of it, or if you're listening to this and you're not a part of it, go to www.prolifeadvocacynetwork.org, which will direct you to discord where you can set up your profile and directly join our server and connect and network with like-minded pro-lifers and build this community up so that we can help spread the word and fight against the uh, atrocious and evil violent act of abortion to save those babies. Uh, We do fundraisers, coaching, and events like this where we talk uh, to our community and try to uh, get them more involved and more confident about talking about why. Uh, Pro The pro-life position is the best position, the most base position, and uh, generally the most moral position. So uh, visit us, join us, and we will see you all next time. Thank you so much.